We have nine followers on Twitter at the moment. It's brilliant, isn't it? Blowing up, baby. This is how it starts. We're coming nine. for you, Jesus. We're coming yeah, for you, Jesus. We're nearly oh, at he 12. Only, he only had 12. <laughs> yeah. nine, nine Twitter followers. What an achievement. <laughs> Mental health. Mental health. Mental health. The mind is a terrible thing to You're very welcome along to Straight Talking Mental Health, where we're going to explore mental health in a way that we can all understand. My name is Peter Dunn. My name is Alan Clark. And it just so happens that this lad here is a professional psychotherapist. Many podcasts about mental health has an actual psychotherapist. Uh, There's a few of them, but they tend to be loners, and they only tend to do the podcast themselves, and they tend to be very boring. (laughs) As opposed to here, when you've got two loners. (laughs) Two for the price of one. (laughs) Brilliant. So what we want to do is we want to tackle every aspect of life that affects our mental health, from anxiety, depression, self-esteem, suicide, stress, and loads, loads more. And we want to get to the root causes and find out how we can deal with our mental health and the mental health of our friends and our family. Now, I want to know a little bit more about mental health. And if you do too, or you want help with yours, then great, because you're in the right place. We will journey through this together. And worst case scenario, we'll all have improved our mental health. So we're not going to waste your time. Well, we might do. <laughs> I'm not making any promises on that. <laughs> we'll, we'll try our best not to. And come on, give us a bit of credit for at least trying. A pity like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take give it. Give us a pity like. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I'll take whatever I can get. So this week we're talking about the mental health of adolescents and young adults and what they go through, how they deal with it, coming of age and more. And this is all on the back of the critically acclaimed TV series Normal People, in which two teens from Sligo on the west coast of Ireland fall in love in their final school year and navigate their way to college in Dublin. So both with very different lives in Sligo and Dublin. So Alan, you've been studying this, taking notes, dissecting it piece by piece from the point of view of a psychotherapist. So from Mm -hmm. what you see of your clients, is normal people an accurate reflection of modern adolescents and young adult lives, or is it just completely blown out of proportion? No, I, I think normal people is probably the, the, the perfect description for that, for that show. It's a very normal experience uh, based in Schlegel. Um, and I think it fairly, fairly well represents the experience of adolescents played by people in their mid-twenties, I would guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> considering Connell looks about three years younger than his ma. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's the missus. Oh, no, that's the mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'd heard a lot about it. I had I had been doing my research. I, had, I hadn't watched it. I ended up binging it at the weekend. And fuck me, you'd be fairly depressed after watching that show. <laughs> it's definitely not a, a laugh riot, as Patrick Bateman in, uh, in American Psycho would, would call it. Yeah, you'd be probably questioning your own mental health after watching 12 episodes of that over over two days. Um, although I'd say if they took out all the sex scenes, they'd probably only have about six six episodes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think I think without the sex scenes, they could probably get it down to about uh, six episodes. And yeah, and obviously, I'd seen all the I'd seen all the stats and all the furore over over the all the sex and all the Joe Duffy shite and the went along mm. with it. And um, we have such a hang up over the human body that it's so fucking bizarre. Like I, I seen there on one of the one of the single dad groups on Facebook there recently. And some lad put up a thing saying, oh, anyone else's kids obsessed with horror movies. I'm like, hang on a fucking second. So I, I clicked into the comments and one one guy said, oh, stop, man. He said, my, my five year old is obsessed with Michael Myers. How in the name of God does a five year old know who Michael Myers is? 
And then some other lad made the comment that, oh, yeah, I let my kids watch the movies, but, you know, whenever there's any nudity or sex scenes, you know, I, I make them look away. Hang on a fucking second. You're willing to let your child look at someone being murdered, being hacked, blood, gore, and you won't let them look at a fucking breast or a vagina or a penis that they have? Like, that's fucking bizarre. You know, and, you know, ch- you know, you go to the Netherlands where, you know, they're taught about, you know, sexual organs from a, from a young age in kindergarten. And, you know, it's taught then at an age appropriate level all throughout. They're the ones with the lowest teen pregnancies. You know, so such a healthy attitude towards sex. They're educated, yeah. They're educated. And look at this in Ireland. You know, we're coming off the back of sexually repressed church. Sex is dirty. It's sinful. And there, there's all this, oh, all the nudity. It's like, hang on a second, love. Do you not have a pair of tits? <laughs> has, has she got something you don't? Oh, he's got his cock out. Do you not have a cock? Have you never seen one? Like, it fucking beggars belief. Uh, you know, there is a lot of sex and a lot of nudity. You know, the awkward thing is, there's a lot of young people watching that in the sitting room beside their mammies and daddies and they're going yeah, come yeah, on yeah. hurry it up hurry it up hurry <laughs> it up hurry it up or you're oh, will you will you stick on the kettle you will yeah yeah, yeah I'll yeah, stick on the yeah, yeah grod <laughs> what I want to see is I want to see I want to see the sex scene you know about two years in when when Marianne and Connell have been out on the piss all night and they go back for a drunken romp and uh, Connell's had so much to drink that it's like he's he's trying to play a snooker with a rope. He's, he's, he's <laughs> none, none of them are getting anywhere. They're so desensitized due to the alcohol. So I, I thought that, I thought the sex scenes, which were fairly sensual, you know, and, and I think that I think that they did a good job of that. Uh, probably weren't accurate toward the, the drunken attempted romp where they're just both going at it for fucking ages and then collapse going, I'm not, this isn't going to happen. I'm not getting anywhere. Just just stop. <laughs> and you're just exhausted and you pass out smelling of taco fries and fucking kebab. <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't convey that one too accurately. Uh, but and I thought, I thought the, look, I thought the sex scenes, I, I thought they were fairly well represented. I don't think it was gratuitous. But I thought it was very loving and very, very sensual in, in, in the experience between the two of them. But I did get to the point where you kind of had around episode eight or nine you go, ah boys, seriously. You're at it again. Yeah, again, like, it you know, for folks, sake, yeah. like, you know. Read a book or something. <laughs> you know, go for a walk, will you? Come on. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at that thinking, no wonder there's a lot of drink involved. Connell is probably fucking dehydrated with all the sex that's going on, in fairness. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's talk about Marianne's mother. Marianne doesn't seem to receive any emotional support from her mother. Yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, so the first thing that the first thing that struck me in um in the first episode was that critical family that that Marianne grew up in. You know, and I and I kind of wondered of you know, she's so good at the grades, you know, she's so clever, she's you know, the brightest person in school, maybe between herself and Connell, between the pair of them, they're the they're the smartest in there. And what what I would very often see, you know, in in adults that I that I work with as well, that they may have become the the good boy or the good girl to try and get mammy and daddy's attention. So the thing the thing that struck me, I think, it was in episode one where she's looking out the window and then she ends up getting detention. She sort of she nearly kind of dares the teacher into to giving her detention. I sort of wondered, yeah. you know, is, is is that that kind of cry for help to get to get attention? Um, you know, you'd kind of suspect that. Oh, you're late home from school. Where were you? Oh, I got detention. You know, because some, you know, very often for for and that's like it's, it's hard to kind of think of them as teenagers because they're obviously not played by teenagers. But mm. you know, to to think of it in the context of teenagers and children in general, that 
you know, negative attention is better than no attention. So I'm, I'm, she, you know, she clearly doesn't get attention from Mammy, um, mm. and you know, is is she kind of unconsciously going down this kind of negative road of getting detention uh, in an effort to maybe get some of Mammy's attention? So the but good grades on, don't get the attention. Mm, so the negativity yeah, will get the attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And I and I see that a lot. And you know, clients with children of oh, he's doing this and he's doing that. And I say, yeah. I mean, what you're looking at is the behavior. What, you, what you're not looking at is the need underneath. Like, like they're acting out. Why is he doing this? He's doing this to get your attention. The question I asked then was, you know, was Marianne kind of looking for the attention, looking to be the bad girl to try and get some attention off Mammy. Mm. And I think when she comes home, then the mother still isn't home. So she's mm. home before the mother. And uh, and then the brother then is quite quite critical as well. Um, so she's very much lost within this within this family. I think she, she describes it later on. When some of the some of her friends are talking about their mothers, and she says like, "Oh, myself and my mother aren't close." So you can see, you can see in the in the show that the mother is fairly, you know, emotionally unavailable, you know, obsessed with work and stuff like that. The high, I think they call the her house the mansion or something like that when they're when they're talking about Connell's mother being the cleaner there. Oh and, yeah, uh, stuff stuff like that. And Marianne says uh, says in one of the episodes, "Oh, I'm unlovable." I have mm. a coldness about me because that's what she's internalized from her mother. So children as young children. And look, I can't imagine Marianne's mother just turned around like that, you know, in just now in the in those for those 12 episodes, she would have grown up with that experience of her mother. Yeah. Um, and so as young children, how they internalize that then is they literally can't, their brains can't construct the idea that, well, as, as a young child that, well, maybe Mammy's the one with the issues. Maybe Mammy is incapable of giving love. How that gets internalized by the child is, I'm unlovable. And she and she says those words herself. I'm unlovable. Mm. I have a coldness about me. Yeah. Because that's what she's internalized from her mother. That the father then, I think, you know, physically used to physically abuse the mother and stuff like that. So, you know, she didn't grow up in a in a loving home. Now whether she was close to her to her mother, but you know, you see the brother then, you know, he's an obnoxious prick in the in the show uh, and the way he treats the way he treats Marianne and, and then the mother just stands back and watches it all. and in, in some of the shots you just see the camera pan to the mother standing there watching it um, so what and, and not likely what the brother then has what he's absorbed has been well you know you physically abuse or you you know women are beneath you or something like that because that's what that's what's been modeled for him by his same gender parent and it's particularly those same gender parents so boys with their fathers mothers uh, yeah. uh, girls with their with their mothers and stuff like that. So, so you know what what Marianne has been has probably internalized as well. As a woman, this is how you get treated, and the brother has well as a man, this is how you treat women. With Marianne, then you know, with that belief that I'm unlovable, I have a coldness because that's been the environment she's grown up in. And then then Connell comes along, and you know, I think there's one of the episodes where she has her period, and Connell says something like, "Oh, do you want me to get you?" And you can see this kind of nearly this look of shock on her face. Oh, Jesus. Oh, uh, cup of tea. You know, because she's used to being the one to get the cup of tea. In one of the episodes, she asks, she asks her mother, does she want a cup of tea? The mother says no. But the mother asks her brother, do you want a cup of tea? Yeah. You know, Marianne is making the tea. Do you want a cup of tea? So, you know, it's a fairly, it's a fairly dysfunctional environment that she grew up with. And, you know, within, within both characters, neither of them have a father. Connell's mm. father isn't even ever mentioned, I think. In the, no, I've in never the heard of him. Like, no, no. Mm. Uh, she was obviously very young when mm. she had him. So, yeah, in, term, in terms of the home environment, 
so what 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 you will see from people that grow up with that, and uh, I don't know if it was intentional by the by the writers or something like that. What you kind of see with with both Connell and Marianne is you would see what's called uh, an avoidant attachment style. So they're both kind of reluctant to get close and be intimate with each other, and that and an avoidant attachment style then manifests in childhood where you have uh, parents who aren't emotionally attuned. You might be left to cry, uh, stuff like that. So basically, mm. the, the the young child learns from a very young age that there's no point looking for love. You're not going to get it. There's what's called a strange situation test. So a strange situation test is they'll, they'll bring a child, and this is how they identify a child's attachment style. So they'll, they'll bring a child into a into a strange room. It's uh, typically um, a two-way mirror, so it's observed. And it's done you know, very specifically that the, we'd say the caregiver, traditionally, the mother and child are brought into, into a room after... I think maybe two or three minutes, the mother gets a they gets a nod to leave the room. She leaves for X amount of time. And it's how the child reacts then when the mother comes back into the room. So so there's what's called a secure attachment style. So with a secure attachment style, the child has learned that, you know, the mother has been consistent in her care, has attended to the child's needs, has been emotionally connected with the child, is affectionate, nurses and nurtures the child, you know, when they're in discomfort. Mm. So the child has basically learned, well, this this is a good old skin, this person. You know, she's back now and I'm grand and I can emotionally regulate myself again. Mm. Uh, 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 an assistant from the, for the experiment comes in then. Mother is told to leave again. And a securely attached child can usually be placated by the assistant, by the lab assistant, we'll say, because they've learned, well, adults are decent old skins. But when mammy comes back in, I still want me mammy. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're grand and all, but I still want me mammy. Um, there is um, there's one exception to that, is when the child is watching Peppa Pig <laughs> and it doesn't make a fucking difference. If that house is burning down, the child is not going to move away from that telly or that tablet. I, I've been blessed in that James never really took to Peppa Pig. I've, I've been very grateful. Um, so thankfully, I haven't had that experience. Um, so that's the securely attached child. Now, securely attached children tend to grow up to have better relationships, romantic relationships, better friendships, tend to have higher self-esteem. And they they believe themselves to be lovable because they've experienced love. So what, what you're likely going to see with Marianne and Connell is the avoidant attachment style. Now, in with, with Connell, he seems to have a fairly good relationship with the mother. But that's not to say it's always been that way, mm. you know, and, you know, a lot of his, you know, emotional issues may stem from the fact that he grew up without a father or, you know, we don't know what the father is, but they are not two people who are emotionally connected. And, you know, you will see uh, with, with Connell, there's a piece in one of the episodes where he has to go back to Sligo because he couldn't ask Marianne um, oh, to move stay in with her. Yeah, just yeah, couldn't yeah. afford to stay in Dublin. So yeah, yeah. people that are people that are securely attached have no problem expressing their needs because they learn. Well, usually if you express your needs, your needs will be met. Mm, when you've you know, when you've experienced an avoidant attachment, it's like, why bother asking? So people don't care about me. I'm I'm unlovable. Why would anyone want to help me? Mm. So that that plays out, you know, between Marianne's mother and then how she interacts with with uh, with Connell, and then it, it plays out later on then in the sex when she gets into the kind of BDSM, the bondage. Uh, the, the What's all that about? Is that um? Does that go back to the fact that she feels she's unlovable and she needs to be ill-treated? So exactly. So that's exactly okay. what, what what can happen, and it's the kind of thing where you see, you know, sex is a huge part of our of our psyche and you know our our experience of life and how how we interact in sexual relationships. So you know, you hear every so often you hear about these uh, judges or you know CEOs of companies 
being found in some brothel somewhere dressed up like a baby wearing a mm. nappy after shiting themselves and being being fed a bottle. So what what plays out in 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 the sexual fantasy then is they can relinquish all control and okay. regress back to a baby where all their needs were met and they weren't responsible and they didn't have all this right, pressure on. Okay, them. yeah, yeah. So what 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 can happen then with with Marianne and again, you know this isn't this isn't always the case, but it's very often the case. So what happens on an unconscious level for the likes of that is it feeds into that belief, that core belief of being unlovable and worthless. Um, and it kind of reinforces that. Mm-hmm. And and she asks then, so after she's after she's gotten out of that relationship, she then asks, well, while having sex with Connell, she says, Will you hit me? And he's like, No, I, I you know, I really, I really don't want to do that. Like mm. I just want to go back a little bit to the the mm. role of the parents. So mm-hmm. how important is the role of the parent at that stage in life? Because the parent makes a transition from being a figure of authority to a friend. So you're not you're not giving out to the child all the time, telling them what to do. You might become an advisor as opposed to a mm, dictator, mm. you know. Well, yes, yes and no. I would say you probably don't want to be your child's friend, but you can be friendly to your child. You know, and some people then, you know, plumaze the child because they're trying to be their friend. And what I would say in situations like that is the parent is trying to meet some unmet need within themselves through the child. You know, and... It, idealistic perhaps that that point of view may be so what what i would tend to see with a lot of the adolescents that i see is that you know the first the first 10 to 12 years i am whatever mammy and daddy say i am so if mammy and daddy say i'm a good boy i'm a good boy next next 12 years whatever the group says i am so what happens then when when they hit adolescence is you know to start to get a little bit of freedom so now they can actually leave the house when they want if they want to they can if if they decide steadfastly that they're not going to school there's pretty much nothing you can do about it so they're they're establishing their own beliefs and a part of it, a part of that can be rebelling against parental beliefs um so whether that's religious beliefs or maybe the family you know my family were never really political but maybe in some families you know oh, well we're a Fianna Fáil family or we're a Fianna Gael family and then what happens then maybe the teenager starts to you know get a little bit more interested in politics and go hang on a second actually I fucking like Sinn Féin and what they stand for <laughs> I've great respect for people who let's say grow up in a Liverpool household and decide you know something yeah. I like Man United <laughs> e- even <laughs> or at vice that. versa yeah. you know I do e- I have great respect that. for people like that yeah, yeah. yeah. even at that you know. You know, that 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 can become uh, a source of rebellion. You know, like that. So we'll say that the father and their brother are Man United fans and the and the, the other young lad, the other brother, the other son then is a Liverpool fan. Well what's Daddy and the other brother going to oh, bond yeah. over? Man course, United. Yeah. And maybe maybe Daddy and their brother go away then to, to Old Trafford to see him mm. and the other lad doesn't go because well he's a Liverpool fan. Yeah. Or to rip the piss so out that of him, or that that's it, yeah. So the usual slagging and banter that goes with it, you know. Yeah. So that you know, he feels mm. left out then. And and I actually only had a client describe something, something very similar where, you know, a couple of siblings were into sport. One sibling wasn't. And the father had no way of connecting with the, uh, with the, with the child and that wasn't into mm. sport. And that's a very common story. I've heard that many times. You mentioned there about from like 11 on or so, I am who the group say I am. Mm-hmm. In normal people, there's a big lad culture. Mm-hmm. Connell clearly isn't comfortable with the lad culture. So this whole, I yeah, need to be yeah, part yeah. of the tribe thing and I need them to like me or they'll kick me out. So you see that you see that play out then a few times um, within the show, particularly when they're in school. So I think the first, 
Um, the first instance we kind of see of that is where uh, where Connell's asked if he's riding Marianne. Um, and, and, you know, the group of friends start talking to him and he goes into the toilet and nearly has a panic attack. So particularly what you will see with adolescents is so that social anxiety. So as they start to step away from mommy and daddy, and every every parent that has a child, they know all they want to do is be with their friends. Mm. Because this is their peer group that they will attempt to make their way through the world with. Yeah. So that social acceptance and and how you're accepted in the group plays a huge part. Mm. I mean, I, I, I remember uh, an incident when I was a teenager. I can't remember who the individual was at the time, or as I think about it now, but, you know, typical group of lads and, and the girls, you know, they, what some of the girls would hang around with, you know, who you'd fancy or, oh, I'd love to give him one or I'd love to give her one. Mm. And I, I remember mentioning one girl and she was very, she was very attractive. She was very pretty, but she wasn't from a good family. She was from a fairly rough family. And I remember being slated about it. Oh, mm. you dirty bastard. Oh, she's a fool. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I, I never brought that up again. Because there know? is that pressure to have the group like you. There is that pressure mm, to mm, be accepted mm. by the group and say the right things. So if you're in a group of lads and they're all ripping the piss out of someone for being fat or something or mm, you know, one mm. who's a bit of a slag or something, mm. there's pressure on guys to kind of pitch in and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah As opposed yeah, yeah. to, you'll never hear lads stand up and go, lads, knocking on the head, will you? Yeah, you yeah, might yeah. see lads go quiet, but they'll never actually yeah. go give it up because they don't want anybody to turn on them. They still want to be accepted. Yeah, I know. I've heard many a times, and I'm sure you've seen it as well. People, people who were who were bullied in school by the lads. You know what they tend to do is, you know, it becomes the pecking order. Then, so the next lad that joins the group, the lad that's been bullied starts bullying him, and then the group starts bullying him. So all of a sudden, I'm not the center of attention now. So it's better if I pick on this lad with with the gang. Otherwise, yeah. I'll be picked on. Yeah. So I I need to fit in and I need to be safe and I need to be protected. And if by doing that means I pick on this lad, then that's that's what I have to do to preserve to preserve my place in the in the gang. And what would happen if you turn around to the say the ringleader and say, Ah look, leave him alone. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be told, okay. Yeah. You'd be told, no, I, I, well, fuck off, hang around with him, so, is what you'd be yeah. told. Yeah, 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 yeah. You kicked out. I, I remember when I was in first year. <laughs> and I, I've always been kind of an, anti-bullying. But I remember there was a lad getting picked on by the six years. And I was, ti- I was tiny. I was only going into first year. I went, oh, you fucking leave him alone. And the six years were kind of like, ha, you little fucker. Like, there was nearly <laughs> a kind of respect of going, fucking size of this lad, yeah. like. So there is that pressure. And you see that with Connell when he's questioned about riding Marianne and he goes off and has, has the... Yeah, has the, has the panic attack, and then there's another scene. I don't know what he says, but there's a scene in the pub, and Connell says something, and he goes, "He says, oh, that's awful gay." Yeah, now, yeah. I I get brought into I get brought into a lot of men's mental health groups and stuff like that, and and I always kind of give this speech around, you know, and you and you think back yourself, and I know it was certainly the case when I was growing up. You know, every slagging, every put down when you were growing up was an attack on your masculinity. Absolutely, you were you were a faggot, yeah. mm-hmm. you were a queer, you were a pussy. You were a little bitch. You're gone home crying like a little girl. Mm-hmm. Everything is kind of there to undermine yeah. your so-called masculinity. Yeah. So you're not a man if you're crying. You're yeah. you're a faggot if you're saying something that's not accepted. You know, it's all about that attack on you being a man. But on the flip side, mm. Marianne, she doesn't have friends in Sligo. But when mm. she goes mm. to Dublin, she encounters this whole fleet of friends. Yeah. Did she change her personality or did she fit in better somewhere different because she was herself? I think, I don't think she changed her personality. I think she, she probably found like-minded spirits. Um, mm. And what what can happen then, and this is where 
college can be a huge, huge opportunity for teenagers. What you can get is, okay, so you've grown up in this town for 17, 18, maybe 19 years. If you were in the town and you were the bike, you were the town bike. No Mm. one would go near you. If you were a lad that was suspected of being gay, you were a faggot. And if, if you were gay, then you probably tried to hide it. And I've had many clients say, oh no, I knew I was gay back then, but I just, I'd go off shifting girls because I didn't want anyone to know. Like, And mm. I'm sure many, probably the majority of gay people in the past have had that experience. So what you get then when you go off to college is you get this opportunity to reinvent yourself. Uh, I can be the intellectual. And and there's a little bit of, in, in the show, there's a little bit of um, a reversal because Marianne goes off to school and, and she has all the friends. Mm. And Connell at the start is the one struggling. So he he was the guy ahead. He might have been the quiet lad. But he was he was the he was, he was the guy. So he was yeah yeah. And yeah. it was the same when you were in school. The boys that were guy, they could get out of class, yeah. more training. You know, the teachers treated them differently because yeah, they were on the school absolutely. team. You know, there was there was that real prestige around mm. around being the guy head. Now, unfortunately, what you get now is you're going to get loads of girls coming out, going, "Oh, you know, Connell there, and you know, he's kind of emotionally retarded." And he's the guy player, and and they're looking for that, thinking right, that oh well, yeah. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to find someone, and he's going to be deep like Connell is, <laughs> and they're all going to go out looking, looking for Connell now, <laughs> and they're and they're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> if you find a guy head in the National Gallery of Ireland, he's looking for boobs. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! There's another reason why he'd go to the National Gallery. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not slagging off. No, we're not slagging not. off the guy heads, but <laughs> you know, uh, but there is the prestige of being on the football team. And, but then he goes off to college, you know, he was the big fish in the small bond. Now he's a small fish in a big bond. Yeah. And Marianne fits in because she's, she's just being herself. She's just founded like-minded people. You can go off to college and be whoever you want to be because these people don't know you. You have a blank you canvas, get, yeah. You get to reinvent yourself. Mm. And people only know what we show them. So if, if you know, if you take, you know, a guy that's been maybe, you know, closet homosexual and goes off to college and he goes, fuck this, I'm here, I'm queer. Well, that's what he's accepted as. Oh, that's that's Johnny. Johnny's gay. But he couldn't do that at home. One thing I really noticed about when I went to college was you go from sixth year in secondary school where like that you have the lad culture, you have the, mm. the attack on your masculinity, blah, blah, blah. Everybody has to kind of live and die by something, be it sport or music or something of the sort. And then you go to college where it's the intellectual and the intelligent that are praised. Mm, mm, They're mm. the guys that the jocks would look to to go, Jesus, you're you're brilliant at what you do. Could you help yeah, me yeah. out here maybe? Or yeah. could you give me a bit of guidance here or something? You know what I mean? Like the tables do turn. Yeah, and what, what can happen? And, and I'm sure you see them. I'm sure there's a few in your town that you know and, and they're in every town. These lads that peaked in secondary school, winning the, yeah. the cup for the school. Some guys who still only talk about school anytime you That's meet all them. That's yeah. um, And, they've, you know, they've never gotten past that. So you might have been popular and you might have been the big boy in school. Yeah. But where are you now? That was you're it. Still, yeah, you're you're, you're trying there. to grab on to that, to that mm. little bit of glory that you had back then. Yeah. Where, you know, people have gone off and done, done very well for themselves. That might have been the nerd in school. But now that, you go off to college and go, oh, yeah. now you're Billy Big Balls. It's different now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. What really struck me in normal people was how quick you see Marianne go from being an 18-year-old secondary school student to mm. somebody who was acting like a 30-year-old. So mm-hmm. what's the psychological dangers of growing up too fast? Yeah, and you know what I would say, what can, what can very often happen in situations like that is with, with Marianne's you know, mother out, out of the picture, what, what 
I tend to see is people that tend to have to parent themselves, for want of a better word, are, are doing it with the mentality of a young child. So they can be very critical of themselves, very hard on themselves, which has probably driven Marianne to excel in school. Like I said, she's probably looking for that positive attention from Mammy. And I think in, in one of the scenes where they're all sitting around having dinner, they go on about how Marianne's doing very well in college or she's getting good grades or something like that. You know, and, and, and parents do this the whole time that, oh, he's off doing this or he's off doing that. Yeah, but what you forget is, well, are they happy? Mm. Why, does, why does that matter? they got a good job or they're doing good in college. Yeah, yeah but they might be fucking miserable. Yeah. You know, I remember having a client before of going, you know, it wasn't even talked about going to college in my house. You were just going. The discussion was never had. You, yeah. You were going to college and that was the end of it. For some people, education might be high emphasis. For mm. some people, well, you've got your leaving cert now, get out and get a job. You've done your junior cert, that'll do you. Get out onto the farm, get out onto the bog there, yeah, whatever yeah. it may be, you know. There's a different emphasis. And clearly in Marianne's family, there's that emphasis on grades and prestige and, and how you're perceived. And you see that with with the brother in, in one of the later scenes, people are talking about you, you know, yeah. as, as a reflection on him, how dare you show me up kind of thing, yeah. like, you know, um, and, you know, you see his, his inadequacy of, he, he says something in that one of going, oh, you had to bring up about college or something like that. And he's like, I didn't bring that up. Mm. You know, so yeah. his inferiority around, around her. Does Marianne have low self-esteem? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So she couldn't have good self-esteem. You know, Why? she might... Well, growing up with her, with her mother, I mean, we internalise what's reflected back to us. So if, you know, I, I, I doubt Marianne's mother changed that much. So, you know, she's not loving. She's cold. In one of the later scenes, you see her walk past her on the street when she goes to Connell's uh, for, for, for Christmas. That's not a woman that's going to tell you she loves you. That's not a woman that's going to tell you you're a good girl. Well, she might if it's conditional. If you get mm. good grades, you might be a good girl. I might buy you a pony. <laughs> you know... Yeah, but yeah. I'm not going to tell you I love you. I'm not going to hug you. I'm not going to hold you. So th- th- what does the child, what can the child take from that? Only that they're unlovable. She says in one of the episodes, I can't make people love me. Mm. And she says something to uh, the Connell about something like, I didn't want you to think I was damaged. Mm. So no, she couldn't. She couldn't have high self-esteem growing up, growing up with that environment. In later episodes, Connell loses a friend to suicide. Now, I know you've been through a similar situation yourself some years ago. Wrote a song about it, man. <laughs> As I sit here by your graveside, tears fall from my eyes. And people walking by, give sympathetic smiles. After all this time, I still wonder why. Why, why, man, did you take your own life? So here's where you What goes through your head when that happens? Um, losing a friend of suicide. I've, I mean, the problem with Kildare Town is Kildare Town is a massive male suicide problem. Um, and it, most towns tend to be a male suicide problem because they don't talk about it. So it all mm. gets bottled up. Um, you know, for me, particularly with my, with my friend Corky, and you know, I, I could say this about any of the lads that I knew that, that killed themselves, there's that initial disbelief. You know, I remember, I remember finding out it was him. I was like, nah, 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 fucking, the gossip got that wrong because he was the outgoing lad Everyone loved him. Everyone knew him. He was always real outgoing. Um, and, you know, just absolute disbelief to start it. And then mm. I remember, um, I remember the, the, the night of his funeral. I was fucking buckled. Because you're just, you're trying to numb the pain. Mm. You know, someone gave me a whiskey and I drank it. And I fucking deplore whiskey. <laughs> you know, 
But you, you're just, and you see that with with, with uh, Connell as well. He goes out mm-hmm. on the lash, and that's, and you see that with lads with breakups then as well. You know, I remember seeing a there was a little cartoon on on Facebook years ago, and it's uh it's a lad and a girl in the, in the little cartoon after breakup. Your man's out on the lash with the lads. She's sitting at home crying, and then cut six months later, he's at home crying, and she's out on the lash with the girls. Right. Yeah. So. Women tend to get get through breakups better because they tend to talk about it. You know, they'll sit there and, and you know every fucking romantic comedy, the girlfriends come over. They'll sit there, she's crying and bitching, and they're eating ice cream and they're having a glass of wine and all of that. And the boys are out getting locked, and the boys are going, "Sure, fuck it, man. Plenty more fish in the sea. Go out mm. tonight, get the ride. You be fucking grand, fucker." Yeah. You know, and they go, oh, "Okay." You know, and what the lads don't say was like, "You know what? I'm fucking heartbroken, boys." Yeah. You know, I'm really fucking in pain here. I'm suffering. Because mm. it's easier to just play along and pretend to be Billy Big Balls, go out on the lash and get yeah, pissed yeah, and ride whatever you can. When are you ever going to see a lad calling over to you going, Johnny, come here and pour over with a bit of ice cream and uh, <laughs> I have some uh, Diet Coke as well and yeah. I've, a, I've, I've a pair of shoes that don't suit me but they'll suit you, you Because <laughs> you have great legs. You, you pull them off, boy. I've got, I've got these jeans here now and they do nothing for me but I'm telling you now, with your arse, I'm fucking telling you, they'll be only massive on you. <laughs> and she'll be crying when she sees you. She'll be fucking oh, crying. It's, oh, Jesus. She, I tell you, she'll be crawling back to you. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't happen. Because um, men don't talk about it. They, they mm. internalize. And then there's that, that whole thing of, you know, big boys don't cry. You know, yeah. stiff upper lip, the strong silent type, you know, go out, get lashed. And you, and you see Connell in trying to deal with the the anxiety and the depression. And he goes out and he goes getting pissed and, you know, after the suicide. Um, and, and he does what, what lads do. And, you know, as, as I did yeah. and as everyone does, you get fucking banjack strung to try, to try and numb that pain in some way. But what I did like to see was Connell going to see a therapist. And it's obviously a very smart move because, you know, he knew there was a problem and he needed to talk mm-hmm, to someone. Mm-hmm. Would you call it a brave move to seek help from a therapist? Or is that very patronising to say to somebody, you're brave for going to see a therapist or a counsellor or a psychologist? Um, I think the majority of people would see it as a weakness. And I only had someone say it to me recently, go, oh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them at home. Mm. So that's, that's, that's seen as a weakness. But of course it's strong. You know, mm. it's seen as this weakness that there's something wrong with you, that you need to go for therapy, you need to see a therapist, you need to see a counsellor. Or actually, there's that strength of going, actually, you know what? I can't get through this on my own. Uh, and, and I need to talk to a professional about this to try and, to try and mm. get a... Uh, to try and get a handle on it. So yeah. there's a huge bravery in it. Because therapy's not easy. You know, they, they don't get this mistaken. A lot of people come in and they think, oh, this grand now after having a session and the, the trend will just go upwards. Yeah. And I'll say to people like, no, no, no. Like You can walk over here and they'll say, oh, I felt great now after walking over here last week. I'll say, I can't always make it, I promise. Some days you might walk over here and you'll feel very raw. You might be crying. You might feel bad for a few days afterwards. But the thing I would say to them is, feeling worse, but getting better. Because you're processing it, mm. you know, and it takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of courage to self-reflect and look in at something to go, well, maybe, maybe I was a part of that problem there. Okay. Yeah. You know, to, to have that self-awareness and to, to turn inward and to see what, to see what part you played in it or, you know, talk about stuff from childhood that you've never spoken about. And Marianne came into me and we'd be talking about her mother, the conversation I've had with many people like that have gone, you weren't a problem. From what you've described, your mother was incapable of giving love. It didn't mean you were unlovable. And, you know, no one's ever said anything like that to them before. 
mm. that you have value, you have worth. It's not based on your grades. It's not based on the fact that you're willing to, to ride whoever. It's yeah. based on you have value because you're a human being. And there was a part in it where she she was wondering if there was something wrong with her or was she born different? Mm-hmm. Nobody's mm-hmm. born different. No. But when you grow up in that environment, that's what you will believe. Yeah. And if you're different, then there must be something wrong with you. Mm. If you're into theater, if you're into movies, and the rest of the family are into sport, there's something wrong with you. Mm. Something wrong with me. Because particularly, and particularly in a family that can't relate to that. You know, yeah. if you're into, if you're in a family where you go, ah, sure, that's what he's into. No, sure, Jesus, he loves it there. Happy days. So he's, yeah. you know, he's in a drama group there now or whatever. Then, then so be it. But more often it's not. Then, sure, what would you mean to that fucking? Sure, that's fucking gay, like. Mm, sure, yeah. that's fucking doing plays and musicals or whatever. So that's all queers, like. Yeah. You queer. That's the sort of stuff yeah. you'd hear. Yeah, it's true. Mm. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think one of the things I've learned from normal people is that I will never be as famous as Connell's chain. Connell's chain. Let me tell you, 177,000 followers on Instagram. Imagine <laughs> you, will, you will never be as popular as an inanimate object in a TV show. <laughs> is, is, that, is that more popular than Paul Mescal, the, the actor that plays Connell? Possibly. Yeah. He's a Kildare <laughs> man, I think, isn't he? Is he he's he? played football for Kildare or something like that, I think I've seen. I think he's from Kildare. I have to say, he was a fantastic actor. Yeah, yeah. The acting yeah. from an actor's point of view, from your point of view. Oh, fantastic. Actor. Yeah. Yeah. What does normal people tell us about ourselves? Like, is normal people an accurate title or is it kind of mm. tongue in cheek to remind us all that there's no such thing as a normal person? Well, that's the thing. I mean, who's to say what's normal? You know, by what standard? You know, there's some sort of societal or cultural uh, standard that says this is normal. You know, that the gang says, well, it's normal to you know, belittle women or to call them tramps or ugly bitches. I think one of them calls Marianne because she wouldn't go to the Debs with them or something no, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, you so the group or decides, well, this is what's normal or this isn't what's, what's normal. Well, I, I think, yeah, I think it's a great title because um, I think it's very normal. I think it's a, a very accurate representation of adolescents in terms of dealing with you know, trying to make their way through school, the embarrassment around someone that's not socially accepted by peers, uh, the awkwardness around, you know, around sex, the self-esteem issues, the, the reinvention when it comes to college. You see in one of the bits, I think when Connell's in, in, in therapy, he talks about he doesn't like it in Dublin. You know, the, the problem with with moving location is, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you have mental health issues in Sligo, you're still going to have mental health issues in Dublin. You know, if you have a broken leg, and you hop, a, you hop on an airplane to Australia, you're still going to have a broken leg in Australia. You know, you can't, you can't get away from yourself. So I think, I think it did a very good job of portraying the most popular themes within adolescence. Anxiety, social anxiety, the desire to fit in. Um, there's a, a neuroscientist called Dan Siegel. He's a big author and he's, you know, huge into adolescent, the teenage brain and stuff like that. And um, he talks about in one of his books that he has this teenage client and he says to me, he says something like... Uh, he says, you know, can I ask, can I ask you a question, you know? And, you know, going back into all the teenagers wearing the jeans hanging off, literally hanging off the bottom of their arse, like, he says, you know, why why do you wear your jeans hanging off your ass like that? He goes, uh, no, I want to be different, just like everyone else. <laughs> no one wants to stand out for the wrong reasons no, as a teenager. No. Everyone would be quite happy to fly under the radar, happy to be Connell. Don't, I don't bring any kind of negative attention to myself because mm. 
negative attention will last with you. So, if you haven't checked it out, we would really, really recommend checking it out. It's Normal People, it's on the RT player, it's on BBC3, I think, as well. I think you can get them online, and mm. uh, there's an, uh, what's the other crowd that do it as well? It's Hulu. That's the one, Hulu. Mm. So, I if think you can call, check call it out, production, I have a, a rule of thumb, which is, if there's an Irish production, and it's backed by BBC... Yeah. it's good it's, it's usually pretty good oh shit and uh, that feeds into the Irish inferiority complex of course oh yeah. shit if the Brits are if the Brits are willing to hop on it it must be good it has to be good yeah <laughs> if we do it ourselves it's probably shite <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think we leave it there my man uh, hope you liked what mm. you heard if so give us a rating subscribe leave a comment or if you think someone you know would benefit from this podcast then by all means share it with them on your social media pages because it could make a big difference in their lives we'd love to hear mm-hmm. from you if you want to get in touch you can email straight podcast at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at str8 talking pod or we're on facebook we're on instagram as well I want to give a big shout out to fiona Bryan as well for the podcast music this dude is an amazing producer beat maker catch him on facebook at fob beats singer rapper podcast chancer like ourselves he'll sort you out so Alan Clark, leave us with um, another message of inspiration from your unique outlook on life. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, well, we'll take that. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, um, you know, I suppose to, and what I'd normally say to to adolescents is, don't buy into the social media. Don't buy into the peer pressure. Because, you know, how how many of us have heard, well, if that's the way your friends treat you, well, they're not your real friends. And there's a lot of truth in it. There's, yeah, it's true. Yeah, you know, you yeah. you you do learn that stuff as you get older. Go, actually, yeah, you know, you forced me to fit in with what you wanted. You know, you weren't a real friend. Mm. So just just to say it to people as well that you know, if if anything we've spoken about, you know, resonates with yourself or anything within the show is a, is a relatable uh, topic, you know, please do please do email us on straighttalkingpodcast at gmail dot com because a lot of the time, many people. They're just happy to know that they're not the only one that's gone through something like that. So, if, you know, if you're willing to share your experience, we can, you know, we can read it out. We can keep you anonymous. Or, Absolutely. You know, if something resonates with you from the show, of going, I had that same that same thing, etc. You know, do let us know because, you know, the people that listen to it will go, oh, Jesus, I'm not alone or I'm not the mad one. Or, you know, there was, you know, something there and mm. someone else has gone through it. Because it can, it can give hope. Tell us, you know, do tell us the humorous side of any mental health issues mm-hmm. you have. You know, mental that's, health that's, isn't always about misery and you know no. negativity. Well, it might, it's not. Yeah, yeah. It, it might have been at the time, but you know, maybe mm-hmm. now you can look back and laugh at stuff maybe you worried about in school. You know, that you look back now and you go, oh, "What was I thinking?" You know. So, so do feel free to to let us know your thoughts, let us know your experiences, good and bad, mm-hmm. and you know, we'll we'll be happy to relay. Absolutely. So until next week, don't buy into it. Don't buy it. Dream talk. Mental health. Dream talk. Mental health. Dream talk. Mental health. The mind is a